Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church, where we are spending time in the book of Proverbs. And so this morning, we are in Proverbs chapter 5. I looked at the very back of our worship bulletin this morning, and I saw the passage listed as Proverbs 6, 1 through 19. And I had a quick panic because I did not bring to the pulpit this morning a sermon from Proverbs 6, 1 through 19 but I have had to write two sermons this week as uh, I will be gone uh, next week. But today, Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 23. Little theologians, we're glad to have you here with us as well. As I am preaching, uh, I want you to work on a drawing for me, if it's okay with mom and dad. At the very end of this passage, God tells us that he can uh, see everything about us. He uh, knows exactly what's going on inside of us, and he uh, knows the path that we are on and where we are going. God knows everything about us. And so, little theologians, maybe you can draw a picture of yourself as if you were made from clear plastic. God can see right through your skin, so he can see your, your heart and your stomach and your brain and the backside of your eyeballs. Yeah, think about that. Sunday morning, huh? Well, this passage uh, is uh, in Proverbs 5, uh, but before we look at it, uh, would you join me in prayer? Uh, Holy Father, you speak to us. You uh, make known to us that which you know. You know us. You know all of creation. You know your plans. You know the past, present, and future. You know all things. And you speak to us. Father, would you quiet our hearts that we would pay attention and by your Spirit give us understanding and application of that which you tell us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, look at uh, verse 1 with me. God's Word says this, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors, go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how i hated discipline and my heart despised reproof i did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors i am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. 
be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of our Lord. Well, uh, I could just call it out and say this is a passage about awkward subject matter. Or I could just dive in and speak freely about what God speaks freely about. And that's what I'll do. Wisdom about sex is challenging to talk about. But here it is. God is talking about it with us. God is telling us how to think about sex. Now, I don't want to use that word a lot, but here's what I mean by the word sex. A physical intimacy between people. And that kind of physical intimacy that's not done just in bed, but also thoughts about physical intimacy, desires for physical intimacy. That's what I mean when I use that phrase, physical intimacy. And what we see in this passage is this. Wisdom has something to say about physical intimacy. God has something to say about physical intimacy. Now that's glorious news for us because uh, we ought to know if you would open your eyes and open your ears and pay attention, the, the, the world has something to say to us about physical intimacy as well. In fact, in fact it seems like uh, everyone is trying to tell us about physical intimacy. Praise be to God that he has something to say to us. We're not left with just movies that are always preaching to us a message about uh, human beings coming together physically. It's not just a, something about romantic comedies. Uh, it seems like all movies, uh, Pixar movies, uh, all movies are saying to us something about physical intimacy. And music, music uh, tells us about physical intimacy. Uh, conversations that uh, we lead in, conversations that we hear, uh, oftentimes are about physical intimacy. How often when we speak in celebrity culture, are we speaking about human bodies? Praise be to God that he says something to us about physical intimacy. Because everyone else is as well. Before I tell you what the passage is about, let me real quickly tell you who this passage is meant for. Uh, clearly, uh, this is a passage in which the father is talking to his son about physical intimacy. And so the passage is about uh, fathers, but it's also about others who teach about physical intimacy. Uh, we uh, know from Proverbs chapter 1 that the wife is involved in teaching. Uh, King Solomon calls that out in 1 verse 8. So uh, the passage is about a father and his teaching, but it's also uh, about mothers and their teaching. The passage is certainly about a, a son who seems to be, from the context of our passage, old enough to be married and perhaps is even married himself. It could be that the son is married. 
But this passage is meant for those who are offering the, the instruction, but it's, off, it's uh, also a passage for uh, the son who is old enough to be married or maybe is married. But it's also a passage for the uh, single son for whom marriage is a possibility. Uh, it's uh, for uh, even uh, daughters or something here uh, about uh, women. Uh, it's, it's for sons, it's for daughters, it's for uh, those who are offering the instruction. It's hard to find who this passage is not for. It's a passage for all of us. And God has something to say about this physical intimacy to all of us. Here's what the passage is about. We'll make our way uh, through it. Uh, In this passage, we learn that not all physical intimacy is acceptable to God. Not all physical intimacy is acceptable acceptable to God. He made physical intimacy for his purpose alone. We think every every line from this passage speaks to uh, that big idea. Uh, But I need to tell you uh, how that is, and we'll begin by uh, the verses that are dedicated to describe unacceptable physical intimacy. That's where King Solomon begins. Verses 3 through 14, unacceptable physical intimacy. Short introduction there in 1 and 2. But then he's going to go to spend time on acceptable physical intimacy. Verses 15 through 20. Let's just begin with that real quick. Uh, Unacceptable physical intimacy. Would you pay attention to verses 1 and 2? Let's just be very clear at the beginning that physical intimacy is never simply about physical contact. contact. Uh, Look at verses 1 and 2. Be attentive to my wisdom on this subject. He's telling his son, I want you to think appropriately on this subject. Be attentive to my wisdom. And he says keep discretion, that word for discretion, it it, it could be uh, understood as purposes or goals. You know, guard your goals in life. Walk uh, appropriately according to my instruction. So, you know, your physical physical intimacy is about something that you think about, something something that governs the way that you walk. But then uh, look what he says. He says that your lips may guard knowledge. Isn't that interesting? He's addressing the speaking of physical intimacy. Speak appropriately about it. Think, walk, speak. All of those activities are what our author is talking about when he's talking about physical intimacy. Why is physical intimacy not just about our actions, how we walk? Don't we tend to think that? Physical intimacy is all about the things that I do, but my thoughts are my thoughts and my speech. I, I speak in the right, uh, the right audience with the right people. All of this is simply about what I do. We tell ourselves that, but that's not the view of this author. This author says that God not only cares about the actions of physical intimacy, he cares about the thoughts of physical intimacy. The dad has something to say about how the son thinks about physical intimacy, about the imaginations of the son, about the fantasies of the son. It's not just what you do, it's what you think. The dad also cares about the speech that involves physical intimacy. 
Sometimes we give ourselves permission to speak in a certain way about physical intimacy because we know who we're talking to and we know it's a joke and everything's okay. But the Father cares. Not just the doing, it's the thinking and it's the speaking. Now, when we think about uh, physical intimacy as being unacceptable, I want us to understand this about that statement. The dad saying to the son that it's there is an unacceptable physical intimacy, and it's unacceptable because it's a dangerous negotiation. Why is it unacceptable, unacceptable dad? He describes, he describes this, this dangerous negotiation. A negotiation is an arrangement you make with someone. Uh, you give someone something that they want in order to get something uh, from them. And one commentator is as bold uh, as this, saying that, you know, uh, all sexuality is by its very nature dialogical. Two people coming together, negotiating. And that same commentator, Bruce Waltke, says not only is sexuality by its nature dialogical, he says that's purely evident in just that word intercourse. Sexuality is dialogical. There's a making of a deal, two people negotiating. And what the author is saying to the son is he's saying that uh, this negotiating in physical intimacy is unacceptable before God. It's a show, a tactical dance to get something. He says that's where physical intimacy is unacceptable. And all of us here know of people who are good at this dance. They can get what they want by dancing. They negotiate on terms that work for them. And the author says that this uh, unacceptable physical intimacy, this dangerous negotiation, it uh, is part and parcel with seduction and compromise. Seduction in verses 3 through 6, you ought to see that there, and compromise in verses 7 through 14. Just look at the language. This woman that he is talking about is a forbidden woman. The dad knows it. And in fact, the son knows it as well. She's forbidden. Why? Well, either she belongs to another, or if not, she certainly doesn't belong to this man. Verse 20, she's actually called an adulteress. But notice that her response to her forbiddenness is a response in which uh, she hopes to conceal. She wants to hide it. We normally think of physical intimacy as everyone just taking their clothes off, but the author is saying here that, wait a minute, the forbidden woman, she's actually dressing herself in a certain way so that she might conceal her forbiddenness. Her lips are dripping honey. She doesn't need to talk that way. You see that in verse 3. But her lips drip with honey. She is a living, breathing, walking honeycomb. And there's actually more. Verse 3, it's not her uh, mouth or her words or her lips are smoother than oil. The, the author says that the inside of her mouth is smoother than oil. I mean, just think about these two images. Lips are dripping in honey. She is uh, actually enticing her audience to come and get more. She's the honeycomb. 
and the inside of her mouth is smoother than oil, and she's enticing her audience, come and taste. She's offering everything to him because she's negotiating. So she's showing him everything that he can have if he would just come closer. Isn't this graphic imagery? There's a sense which just feels utterly inappropriate for a Sunday morning, but it's not. It's very appropriate, especially appropriate in the culture in which we live. Praise be to God that he speaks on this topic. What is this saying to the son? The dad's saying to the son, one thing for sure, son, I know this fires your imagination. Just imagine a father speaking to his son this way. I know this fires your imagination. Son, I hear this. I see this. Do you? Paying attention? On the one hand, though, he's saying to his son that this honey is going to go down like wormwood. Sorry. Thought I had water with me. On the one hand, he says to the son that, you know, it looks like honey, but it's going to go down like wormwood. The inside of that mouth It's nothing you want. It's a sheath containing a two-edged sword. It's dangerous. But on the other hand, he's saying that wisdom is here to reveal what's true. The son is not left to his own devices. He's not left to just think on his own. The dad's there. The dad understands. He knows what's going on. He speaks to the son. There's also a message here for that uh, forbidden woman. He's saying to her that, you know, on the one hand, you're already on the path to death. You don't even know it. Your feet, look at them. They're glued to that path of death. They're there. But on the other hand, I'm speaking. The Father has a word. You're wandering, but what have we been told about wisdom? Wisdom is shouting. You're wandering and wisdom is shouting. So both to the son and to any daughter, the dad is saying, this is all dangerous stuff here. But God, he speaks. He makes this stuff known and he speaks the truth. It is a negotiation that on the one hand involves seduction, but on the other hand it involves compromise. Look at verses 7 through 14. The dad uh, says in verse 8, he says, Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Just think about that for a moment. He knows that the son is susceptible. He knows that the son has a way, a path. That's been mentioned so many times in Proverbs. But not only will the son leave that path every now and again, look where the son might end up, on her doorstep. Isn't that remarkable? She thus far has been speaking at a distance, and now here he is at her door. Just look at verses 9 and 10 at all the verbs that are used. You you see what this son is thinking about? He's thinking about giving honors, giving years to her. He's thinking about strangers who are taking strength from him. He's thinking about works or or, uh, labors to go to the house of a foreigner. You know what the son is doing? He's standing on the doorstep of her house and his hand is up like this. He's well off the path. He's right there on the doorstep. He's heard what she's got to say, thinks she might have something to offer, and he's 
pretty interested but wants to learn more. And he stands there on the doorstep. And here's what he thinks. And I can, I, I can have her for a little bit of honor, a little bit of wealth. That's what that literally means in verse 9. Maybe it's just a little bit of wealth and I can have her. Or maybe just a little bit of years, youthfulness, a little bit of my energy I can give to her. He says a little bit of strength. I wonder how much strength it'll take. I wonder how much sexual vigor I have. And a little bit of labor, a little bit of effort. He stands in the doormat with his fist in the air about to knock, contemplating how little he can get away with in order to get what she seems to have to offer. You know this is contemplating your own self-impoverishment. Remember how Proverbs began that there's some bad guys that are going to attack you and take stuff away from you, and trap you and, and uh, remove all your wealth? This guy is calculating how much of his wealth he can live without. He's volunteering his wealth if he can get what he wants. Standing on a doorstep, about to knock, doing the math. You know what the word seduction means? The word seduction literally means to be led. And so many men talk about sexual conquest, but really it's a discussion about how they have been led by someone else. It's a discussion of their own enslavement. I think we have a picture of that. A man standing on the doorstep about to knock. If you, if you flash forward to verse 23, you read there, because of his great folly, he is led astray off the path on a doormat. Unacceptable physical intimacy. It's all about this dangerous negotiation, the dad says. Well, what's acceptable physical intimacy? It's not about a dangerous negotiation. It's about a gracious gift. Verses 15 through 20. I don't know if you have felt in this passage that it's just a little bit too graphic. And certainly it's graphic with regards to a seduction and compromise. But you know where most of the real estate of this passage is? You know where the greatest graphic imagery is? It's not the unacceptable intimacy, it's the acceptable intimacy. That's where we uh, land here with verses 15 through 20. The image of negotiation is nowhere here. I mean, look at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. No negotiation. The cistern is there. In fact, we're told the water is flowing, so it must be a spring-fed cistern. Everything is there. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to negotiate. Just drink. Look at verse 18. He says, let your fountain be blessed. Enjoy. Praise God. Let that be blessed which has already been a blessing to you. Look at verse 19. What is this if it isn't a gift for this son? Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. A searing imagery, but imagery of grace and beauty. And who is this person? Who is this person that this man is with? There are numerous forbidden women. 
numerous adulteresses, but there is only one wife of your youth. She's it. She's the embodiment of God's great grace. She dissolves all negotiating, no need for seduction or compromise. The seducer lies, saying she can offer something like this. And you compromise with her, thinking that you can purchase something like this. And to the father, it's completely irrational. Look at verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? You hear what the father is saying to the son? No shame at all in bringing about this imagery before his son, speaking openly and freely about the glories of marriage, the glories of life with your wife, about the glories of God's grace. The father is saying there is an acceptable way to think about physical intimacy, to walk in physical intimacy, and to talk about physical intimacy. There is an acceptable physical intimacy, and it's right here. I want to tie those together at the very end, but look at verses 21 and 23 real quick before I conclude. If the son were to sit back and ponder what his dad has said and ask himself, where did I go wrong? Why, Dad, is this so hard to understand? I think we can see uh, three things that the son uh, overlooked. Verse 21, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. The son forgot that his life is being watched by another. And here the dad reminds him of that, and I remind you of that. All of you who are sons, all of you who are daughters, remember, a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord. The son is maybe thinking that he forgot that. The dad also says to him to consider the judgment of God. Maybe according to verse 22, the son forgot that there are iniquities of the wicked and those iniquities are defined by God. He forgot that God's watching him, but he also forgot that God has an opinion on all that he sees. He didn't consider he's being watched by another and he didn't consider the judgment of God. One wonders if when the son notices this, if he just uh, sits down in a pile of ashes and he cries. But really, the problem is the solution. What alerted the son to his great need that he's watched by God and that God defines what is good and what is bad. But son, don't forget that God has given you someone to tell you this. I'm here talking to you about this subject and I'm telling you what wisdom has to say. His son, listen, I'm here. Not all physical intimacy is acceptable to God. He actually made physical intimacy for his purposes alone. And I want to just, just want to finish with just four things. The first thing, simple enough, you know, this whole discussion of physical intimacy, it can't be denied or cast off because God doesn't deny it or cast it off. Physical intimacy, sex, it's divinely built into us. God made us as sexual beings. Physical intimacy isn't cast off by God. He talks to us about it. You don't have to look elsewhere. 
for how to understand our sexual selves. That's the first thing. God talks about it. And the second thing is this, is that God has an opinion, and he tells us that physical intimacy is meant for marriage between man and woman. That's so evident in this passage. Physical intimacy is reserved for marriage. And in fact, it's not any kind of marriage. It's marriage between man and woman. God has an opinion. And yet at the same time, we would never say, because God doesn't say that married life is better than single life, because married life has room for physical intimacy, whereas single life doesn't. You know, there's a a passage in Scripture that tells us that single life and married life, they're bountifully full of God's grace and His mercy and His love for us in this present age. Uh, Paul says that a single life though it's without physical intimacy, is a life of closer devotion to God. And he says that married life is a life that is, as a result of marriage, filled with many troubles. Openly and honestly, Paul can speak to us about married and single life. Even though physical intimacy is meant for married life, it doesn't denigrate single life. The Bible doesn't teach us that. That's the second thing. Physical intimacy is meant for marriage between man and woman. The third thing is this. Our sinfulness and physical intimacy is never defining for the Christian. Every aspect of who we are is touched by the pollution of sin. Our thoughts, our actions, our speech, but our emotions, our psychology, our opinions, our tastes... Our sexuality is one of the many aspects of our humanness touched by the pollution of sin. But our sinfulness and physical intimacy is never defining for the Christian. We are never circumscribed by that sin in such a way that we have less of God. That brings me to the fourth thing I want to say. Let me go through them real quickly and finish with the fourth. Physical intimacy is not denied or cast off by God. Physical intimacy is meant for marriage between man and woman. And our sinfulness in physical intimacy is never defining for the Christian. And the fourth is this. Our physical intimacy is meant to be a foreshadow of spiritual intimacy with Christ. You heard that this morning already in Ephesians 5. The physical intimacy is but one of many foretastes of the union that we have with Jesus Christ. What is the term that is used to describe Christians in the Bible? They're actually called Christians, Christians in Antioch. They're actually called followers of the way. But by far, Christians are mostly called this. They are those who are in Christ Defined by him, communing with him, united to him. Physical intimacy is always to point to that. The physical intimacy that we have between husband and wife, Jesus has said, will not be the kind of physical intimacy that we have in heaven. Why? It's a foretaste of something so much more. And if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you have that kind of intimacy. You are in Christ. 
We're going to talk more on this subject, not next week, but the week following. But not all physical intimacy is acceptable to God. He made it for his purpose and his purpose alone. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are grateful that you enter into subjects that can sometimes be taboo and uh, subjects that can sometimes be neglected entirely or subjects that can be bent, morphed according to our own will. Thank you for speaking authoritatively with regards to our intimacy. Be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.